The retirement and IRA show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Saunier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's Jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Well, welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show Q&A edition for, for this week. Um, little change up. Uh, Jim and I were set to record the podcast today and he... Uh, reached out and he has become uh, fairly ill. It sounds like, uh, I don't know if he ate something bad or picked up a bug or something, but he's in uh, no shape to record the podcast. So what we decided to do at the last minute is uh, a uh, social security dedicated Q and a show. So I can get caught up on a few of a little bit of the backlog on social security and a couple Irma questions. Um, and also, we have not yet had the opportunity to talk about the uh, 2024 changes to Social Security. As most of you realize, if you pay much attention to Social Security at all, you know that each year they update some of the numbers. Numbers like uh, they announce a cost of living adjustment uh, for, for the coming year. They they adjust uh, things like the maximum taxable earnings and what it takes for a quarter of coverage, and all those numbers get updated with inflation. So we haven't had the opportunity to walk through those um, those elements. So I'm going to do two things today. I'm going to cover a handful of questions that we've got on Irma and Social Security, and then um, kind of tackle that uh, that list of uh, of details from what's called the Social Security Fact Sheet, which they come out with uh, every single year, and that's been released for the upcoming uh, 2024 Social Security changes. So that's where we're at, and uh, we, uh, uh, you know, obviously, I wish Jim well. Hopefully, he he shows up on the next podcast. Uh, uh, it sounded like uh, it, it should be something that's passing, but uh, we'll keep everybody in the loop. Um, so the first question that we've got here is actually an Irma-based question. Irma, for new listeners, is the uh, income-related monthly adjustment amount. And essentially what that is is a, uh, a Medicare premium surcharge that applies to Medicare Part B premiums and Medicare Part D as in dog premiums if you are on those Medicare uh, programs. 
Um, and essentially what the deal is, is they have a number of years ago instituted a way of raising more revenue into the Medicare system by uh, means testing, essentially, uh, means testing the Medicare premiums. In other words, they are going to base your premiums not on everyone pays the same, uh, but rather uh, a base level of premiums, uh, but then an, a surcharge or extra uh, higher premium, if you will, based on your modified adjusted gross income. And so we've got a question here that comes in. And by the way, these these listeners, uh, for the most part, have supplied hints, which of course, since Jim forwarded me these questions, I can see the answer too. But, but to uh, uh, some of these uh, hints are kind of interesting. So I'm going to go ahead and read them for people out there. This one comes in, uh, says, I live in the state that has a national park that recorded zero rain in 1889, 1929 and 1953. And so it's a state that has a national park and a state that it's national park has a tendency to be dry. Uh, so I probably would have come up with this, but um, I don't know that for sure. The answer is uh, California, uh, Death Valley uh, experienced zero rain for the entire years of 1889, 1929 and 1953. Uh, Trusting the listener, of course. We don't uh, vet these questions, but that certainly sounds plausible for for Death Valley. Um, So here's the basic question. It's super short and sweet. I will turn 65 in September of 2024. So that happened here a couple months ago since I'm recording this here in November. Um, And I will turn 65 in September 2024, retire and start Medicare. And the question is, does Irma start at the time or January of 2025. So the basics of Irma is Irma for any given year. So here is 2024 when he's turning 65 and going on to Medicare. Does Irma for 2024, uh, that is determined by your modified adjusted gross income for 2022. And it will apply immediately. So essentially, they will have, and and you should have received this notification, they know in what year you turn 65 when you would become first eligible to go on to Medicare. And so late in the year prior, so it was a while ago, but sometime in late fall of 2023, you should have received a letter advising you as to what your Medicare premiums uh, would be when you will go on to uh, Medicare. The other time they would notify you is when you actually put in a claim to, to start benefits, to start these Medicare benefits, and they will then generate another one of those letters to you indicating what your premiums will be. And in that letter, we'll tell you if you have IRMA effects or not. My guess is your modified adjusted gross income while working was high enough that you're concerned about being in Irma. The good news is you, um, although, you know, there's only a few months left of 2024 by the time you were to go on to Medicare, and I have no idea how much Irma effects you might have because uh, you didn't share with me any of the uh, modified adjusted gross income figures for 2022. But if they were severe, you have you are creating here, you're experiencing what's called a life-changing event. There are some exceptions for how they apply IRMA in that they don't always use two years prior. If you qualify for a life-changing event reassessment, we'll call it, 
uh, and your income, your modified adjusted gross income in the current year is actually much lower than it was two years ago. If those two things are true, you've got one of these life-changing events, which retirement is a a reduction in employment or a a work reduction, which is one of the life-changing events. A reduction in your income doesn't, doesn't spell out retirement because if you have a reduction in your work income, uh, even though you aren't totally retired, that can trigger this reassessment. And so I'd encourage you, if your IRMA effects are, are significant here in 2024, um, that you consider filing an SSA 44. Um, you've, you've definitely, the one thing you do share with me is the life-changing event of retirement. And so if your, your income after retirement is much, much lower, uh, you might get some relief. Now in 2024, because you're working all the way until September, your income might still be too high to get any relief. But the good news is 2024 Medicare for you is only three months, September, October, November, December, I guess that's four months. Um, uh, if you go on it immediately, maybe you don't go on it until October. So three to four months. So even if you have Irma that you can't get out of because of income amounts uh, for 2024, for 2025, if your income is going to be much lower than it was while working, the SSA 44 would help you out uh, there most likely as well. So um, the short answer, I kind of rambled on there to add some context to everything, but the short answer is yes, it would apply immediately if if your 2022 modified adjusted gross income is high enough to trigger IRMA in 2024, when you go on Medicare for the first time in September, by your description, you would in fact be experiencing IRMA. Uh, they do not wait till the next calendar year to start for it to go into effect. So um, yeah, really straightforward question. Uh, I kind of embellished it a bit, uh, so forgive me. But uh, question number two is also an IRMA question. And so I guess we'll continue with the theme, if you will. And this question, um, this one actually comes in from uh, someone else in the industry because they talk about having a client. But let's do the hint first. Um, By the way, these questions have all come in very recently. So uh, they must have been at the top of Jim's inbox. Uh, So when he was desperately trying to send me some questions before he went back to bed feeling ill, uh, he just plucked some that were very recent. So this one, uh, the hint is um, their state, they, they reside in the state where Guns N' Roses singer, singer Axl Rose was born. So Guns N' Roses fans probably know this. I would have had to guess. Uh, I, while I'm quite familiar with Guns N' Roses and Axl Rose, I would have had no idea where he was born. And in fact, he was born, according to this listener, in the state of Indiana. So this question comes in from Indiana. And it begins, question on Irma for you. We have a client who was let go from their position at work in the fall of 2022. As part of being let go, they were given a severance package that paid them their salary through August of 2023. In the summer of 2023, they also liquidated privately held stock from the company they worked for that would put their modified adjusted gross income above the top IRMA bracket, a two-part question. One, since they had forced retirement in 2022 but continued to receive a salary as part of a severance package through 2023, what year would you put on SSA 44 as their actual retirement date? 
The second question, the client's base salary would not put their household into Irma surcharges. However, with the liquidation of the stock, they are past the top bracket of Irma. If one could assume they, quote, retired in 2023, which is up for debate, is it also reasonable that the capital gain associated with leaving the company and liquidating the stock would make them eligible for SSA 44? So before I answer that, as I read through this, I just realized my mind was in the wrong year on the first question. So those of you who listened through that when I said that September 2024 was a couple months ago, um, my mind has already kind of transitioned to 2024 because we're dealing with all the changes to the retirement uh, account limits and all and social security changes. So I've been looking at so many 2024 things. My mind had been stuck in 2024. So I apologize. The, uh, uh, that, that person in the, in the first question uh, will be receiving their letter for their Medicare premiums for 2024 here shortly. They wouldn't have received that already, uh, and they've got until September of 2024 before they go on to Medicare. So I wanted to acknowledge that real quick. I was I was off by a year in my uh, my my brain timeline, if you will. Uh, but back to this, we essentially have uh, someone who who was uh, separated from service uh, or let go, fired, whatever you know, whatever you want to call it, in the fall of 2022. But they had a severance package that extended. Uh, through August of 2023. And from the previous question, question number one, when I talked about filing SSA 44 to get IRMA relief or, or reconsideration, if you will, um, you have to have a life-changing event, one of which is uh, a reduction in work or, you know, in, in this case, retirement or, or being let go, fired, all of those things are a, a work reduction. And in this particular case, um, the the standard rule so so they're kind of spanning two years here they've they uh, were were let go in 2022 according to how this is written and then uh, were on severance still receiving payments from the employer until 2023 August and they also created a lot of adjusted gross income in 2023 because of the stock sale the uh, privately held. Uh, company stock that they that they were awarded and, and had and, and generated a large capital gain at the time. So what this advisor is hoping is that they can maybe utilize an SSA 44 to shield that spike in in adjusted gross income for 2023 from Irma, you know, creating Irma effects in 2025. Remember, there's that two year delay. Well. It's all going to come down to when the employer considers having cut you loose. Um, and the reason I say that is when you're claiming a reduction in work or a retirement on an SSA 44 as a life-changing event, they ask you to prove it. And one of the pieces of proof you can send in is a document from your employer saying when you retired or when you were let go, etc., the traditional approach, the traditional situation is when you are let go and you're on severance, you are considered terminated when you got when you were let go. Being on severance does not continue your status as an employee. That's the standard. Now, I do not have any particular insight as to how this employee was treated for those purposes. If they kept them on as an employee and just said, don't show up to work, but we're going to keep you on as an employee until August of 2023, paying you a salary 
uh, and keeping you on other benefits, healthcare, things like that. Maybe that was what was negotiated. We just want you out of here uh, with a known end date to employment in August of 2023. Then the official retirement or, or let go, I guess, forced retirement um, wouldn't have been until 2023. But if they truly terminated the employee in fall of 2022, that was the life-changing event. And then you've got, you know, a, additional income spiking up in 2023 due to the stock sale, etc. So I'm not sure, you know, in this case, what's going to pan out here. If there is an actual opportunity with SSA 44 um, shielding the 2023 income, because essentially what happens is in a year that you have this life-changing event, they don't examine, the IRS and, and Medicare, Social Security actually, who, who determines this, they do not examine the nature of your income in the year that you have the life-changing event. In other words, they're not going to look at it and say, oh, in 2023, we're not going to give you all this relief because not only did you have salary or severance payments during that time, you actually had a bunch of capital gains. And our intention with this wasn't to give you a free pass on those capital gains for IRMA purposes. They don't look at it like that. They simply look at it first. Was there a life-changing event? If there was a life-changing event, then they will let you... um, determine IRMA, or they will determine IRMA for you based on your current year's earnings rather than those of two years ago. That's essentially what's going on with SSA 44. You are asking them for relief by having them consider your current income rather than the income from two years ago. So the if the life-changing event is 2022, then they are going to still end up considering 2023's income uh, for purposes of uh, Irma in the future, you know, for, for, for the two years delayed. Now, the good news is it only impacts you for the one year. Uh, so the pain, while if you're at the top of the Irma bracket, is going to be significant for one year. It is just a passing blip. And then um, hopefully you wouldn't have those Irma effects ongoing after that, but it's going to be dependent upon your other income uh, that you experienced. So... Um, His direct questions, since they had a forced retirement in 2022, but continued to receive a salary as part of a severance package, I wouldn't call it a salary because that's, he was, he continued, he received a a severance payments uh, through 2023. What year would you put on the SSA 44? That's again, dependent upon what the employer would supply you as documentation for the end of employment. When was the separation of service? Uh, the client's base salary would not put them over Irma, but the but the capital gains would. So if 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 one could assume they retired in 2023, which is his the second question here, if you could justify it through documentations from the employer, that would be best case scenario, and you could then ask the uh, uh, Medicare to not consider 2023. It's as if it didn't even occur. 2023's income doesn't even get considered at all. And uh, that will give you the relief in 2025 that you are seeking in this particular case. So he he finishes, I think he was already leaning towards my answer. He said, my gut is leaning towards retirement is 2022 since they officially stopped working in fall of 22, even though they were still on active payroll until summer of 23. That's the confusing part for me. 
Severance isn't active payroll. Active payroll means an active employee in the regular payroll system. So again, if the employer chose to treat it that way, if they really did keep them on regular payroll as an employee and they consider them an employee all the way through August, they just didn't make them come into work. I think you've got a good case here and it's the paperwork will support you in uh, filing an SSA 44 to exclude 2023's income. Um, so I would be, I'll be interested to hear how this plays out. So we'll encourage this uh, advisor. Like I said, they're in the industry. They're speaking about this person as their client. I would, uh, I'd love to hear how this turns out and how the employer actually classified them during that period of fall of 22 through August of 23. Maybe you've got, you know, maybe this will work out. We'll just have to see. Okay, so the next question uh, question number three is a social security question. And uh, let's see here. Do you have a hint? Doesn't look like... Uh, I don't see a hint in here. Obvious, uh, An obvious hint, at least. So it starts off. Um, great podcast. Just found you recently. I've got a question about taking spousal social security with children under 16 regarding the reduced amount. My wife is 64. I'm 68. My wife is 64. We're raising our three grandchildren. A common theme today. Three years ago, we adopted our three grandchildren, and I started taking Social Security early at 65 because the children would receive a benefit on my account. My wife earned 40 quarters, but earned less than me. When she reaches full retirement age, her spousal benefit will be 50% of mine. My question is this. If she takes Social Security early now, will her benefit not be reduced because she's caring for a child under 16? Currently, one child is 16. The other two are 14 and 10. So what this um, uh, person is referring to, what this listener is referring to, is the... uh, uh, Child and care spousal benefit is what it's called. And essentially what this states is a spouse that would otherwise be eligible for spousal benefits normally. So once they reached 62 years old, um, would they qualify for a spousal benefit on, in this case, the husband's record? Normally, there would be a reduction. Well, first, first let me start out. Normally, the spousal benefit wouldn't be available to that spouse prior to the age of 62. And even if you claimed at 62, it would be for a reduced amount because it would be claimed prior to full retirement age. What the child in care adjustments or, or feature or whatever you want to call it in the Social Security rules allows you to do is not suffer the penalty for early claiming if, as the spouse, you are caring for a child of the husband, the number holder, that is under the age of 16. Essentially, they say if you're caring, if someone's on Social Security, in this case, the husband is claiming Social Security, and you are the spouse caring for their child who's under the age of 16, not only does the child qualify for benefits, but the spouse also qualifies to claim a spousal benefit early and without reduction. So in other words, the spousal benefit for her in the, in the situation that he's describing here would be available to her at 64, and it would be the amount that she would receive 
at her full retirement age of 66 and 10 months. She wouldn't, re- she wouldn't get spousal reduced for being claiming at 64 because she is caring for the child of the number holder. Remember, they adopted them. That's considered a qualified child. And one is 16, so that one's over the age of 16. But the other two, 14 and 10, open the door to this child and care spousal benefit for her. When she then transitions to full retirement age, they'll just pay her her the spousal as normal. They won't even consider there being children and have to worry about it because she would have reached the age where she would qualify for a full spousal benefit anyway. So in this case, it, it opens the door to early claiming of the spousal benefit without reduction um, because of these uh, children. Now, there is a family maximum in play. He's not asking about that, but um, you know, I'm sure they're probably aware of it if they've gone to Social Security and asked what the benefit would be with uh, two, uh, well, three children claiming benefits and a spouse. Uh, each, you know, they're all going to be combined to receive a maximum of about 180% of his benefit. So, um, there is a a hard limit called the family maximum that they're going to butt up against here. But in that calculation, they won't have initially reduced her spousal benefit for claiming early because of this child in care um, mandate, if you will, this, this rule that was created to allow spouses caring for young children of social security recipients to receive an unreduced early spousal benefit. So he's essentially asking, will, will her benefit not be reduced, but she's care because she's caring for a child under 16. Correct. Her, her spousal benefit will not be reduced because she's caring for a child of yours has not just any child, but a child of yours under the age of 16. So that's kind of, we haven't talked about uh, child and care for a while. So that was kind of an, an uh, interesting one uh, right there. Okay. So question number four comes in to us from, well, it's signed uh, the ice fisherman in the land of 10,000 lakes, which I think we've had that one before. That's clearly Minnesota. So that's the hint for this particular question. Um, we've got now, uh, let's see here. Oh, this one also came in very recently. So the question starts as follows here. It says, can a person who's at or above their full retirement age suspend their own benefit and ask to receive a survivor benefit? In this case, the survivor's spouse died after, after the survivor began collecting their own benefit and the survivor's benefit is larger than the survivor benefit from the deceased spouse. Not sure what that means. I have to think about that for a second. Uh, the survivor would like to suspend their own benefit and collect a survivor benefit to allow their own benefit to collect delayed retirement credits until reaching 70. I know if the spouse's death had occurred before the survivor claimed their own benefit, the survivor could have chosen between their own and the survivor but what about this case where the spouse died after the survivor already claimed their benefit? Can they suspend their own benefit and collect the survivor benefit? I could not find a clear answer on SSA.gov. So I've got some bad news in this case. 
the under current rules, and this is something that they clarified or I, I guess technically might have changed um, a number of years ago when they changed the rules uh, regarding suspension of benefits. If you remember, there used to be some strategies out there where you could claim your own benefits and then suspend them and other beneficial things could happen even when you were in suspension. And they've removed those. Uh, at this point, if you suspend your benefit, uh, you can no longer be receiving any other benefits simultaneously. So um, in this particular case, they are correct that ha had this person passed away before the survivor had claimed their own benefit, they would have been given a choice. So, well, they may not have proact proactively been given a choice of the Social Security Administration because they don't oftentimes give you any kind of helpful advice about what benefits you have available to you. But had you known, you would have had the option to either claim your own or a survivor benefit. In this case, you they could have claimed a survivor benefit and waited to claim their own until age 70. That was that's only allowed now if you make that choice prior to claiming your own. Once you've claimed your own, there's only two things that can happen to stop the benefit. You can suspend it, which you're allowed to do after you've reached your full retirement age. So you're still allowed to suspend your benefit. Some people do that in order to earn some delayed retirement credits. In this case, though, if they were to suspend the benefit, they are not allowed to collect any other benefits. So they can't do what they originally were asking in this email, which is to suspend their own benefit that they've already been collecting, switch to the survivor benefit, and then earn delayed retirement credits on their own benefit and then switch back to it. They've essentially locked themselves into their own benefit uh, first. Now they could switch to a survivor benefit if it helps them, but they won't be able to... Um, switch back to their own having earned delayed retirement credits. So the, the, um, you know, suspension essentially pauses the benefits, but doesn't allow them to do what they're asking where they might be able to do, depending on when they filed, you could withdraw your application for benefits. If you withdraw your application, which means you essentially ask them to consider that you didn't claim you can do this within one year of claiming your benefits. You do have to pay back all benefits that you had received up to that point. So if they claimed not that long ago, this might be a possibility for them. They don't mention withdrawing their application for benefits. I doubt that's going to work because that would assume that they, they did this within a year and that they would have the money to pay it all back and that there would be enough benefit to doing so that it would be worth paying it all back. I can't speak to whether it would make sense in this case. I'm just telling you that that's a possibility in a scenario like this. Let's say you claimed your own benefit and then your spouse died uh, a couple months later. And had you know you known this was going to happen, you would have waited uh, in order to claim survivor only for a while and then switch to your own later on. Uh, you could withdraw your application, pay back the benefits as if it never happened, and you could then proceed with your strategy as originally desired. So it's unfortunately, but in, in suspension, the way they're describing it here in this particular question, the simple answer is no. While in suspension, you cannot be collecting a 
different benefit, a survivor benefit in this particular case. You would have to stop your retirement benefit and elect a survivor benefit instead, essentially permanently making that switch over to the survivor benefit. And then the last uh, question I have, and remember I I said I was going to answer some questions and then, um, excuse me, cover the 2024 Social Security changes. So the last question that I've got looks to be pretty short. This one actually came in from our blog site, helpwithmysocialsecurity.com. It's a site where I've put posted a lot, a lot of the different questions that we've gotten with the podcast, other random social security questions, uh, posted a few social security articles that I've written uh, all on that blog site. But this one came in from there. They don't uh, provide a hint because that's really something we do on the podcast, not on the website. But here's the question. I've been divorced since 2016. My daughter is 17 today. I am 58 and my ex-spouse is 80 and retired at 65. I started receiving spousal benefits as a mother of a dependent under 16. That's that child in care spousal benefit that I talked about in the first question today. That was me interjecting. They go on to say at 14, uh, I'm sorry, they, <clears throat> this person started collecting spousal benefits as a mother of a dependent under 16 when she was 14. I have her full time. Social Security told me I have to pay back all the money since the divorce. I'm a single mom not remarried on a limited income. Do I have any solutions? Is this true that it stops because of a divorce? Well, this is an interesting one. They they don't include something that probably explains what's going on. As a divorced spouse, you have all the rights to collect benefits uh, as a spouse, as long as you were married for 10 years. If you get divorced prior to the 10-year anniversary of your marriage, you do not retain spousal benefits for uh, as if you were still married. So I suspect what happened here is when you divorced in 2016, you had already been collecting your spousal benefits um, well, I'm kind of rereading this. I'm not sure the dates all line up, but the bottom line is what I suspect is going on here is they started paying you benefits, assuming you were entitled to them as a spouse, but later realized you were divorced and you hadn't been married for at least 10 years so that you didn't get grandfathered, you know, you didn't get that. I call it grandfathered in. You, you didn't get treated as a spouse, even though you were divorced you forego those benefits. Now the child, your daughter, being the daughter, if that is the daughter of the um, your ex, you know, who's who's collecting Social Security, that child does receive Social Security benefits as a child up until they turn uh, 16, uh, or actually till 18 or 19, if they are still going to high school. So that uh, benefit to your daughter is unchanged. And because of the way the family maximum works, even though they want you to pay back your own, if, if they're paying, if they're going to force you to pay back your spousal benefit because they're claiming you didn't, you didn't qualify for one, you weren't eligible for one because you were divorced before reaching 10 years of marriage, you should ask them to recalculate the child benefit for your daughter because it was likely reduced 
due to the family maximum that they were paying to your to you. And so if they claw that back, it's only fair that they pay, you know, the difference for the child um, that, you know, that was subtracted because you were receiving a spousal benefit when maybe you shouldn't have been. So that's just my guess is what's going on here. I would have to see the letter. They, they would have written you a letter about why they were taking this back. And if it wasn't clear in the letter, you have every right to ask them to explain why they were taking it back. So um, I will uh, make sure this person gets reached out to. They don't, they're not a podcast listener. At least they don't indicate that they are. So I will make sure that this answer gets back to uh, this person because I think a little investigation needs to be done. And the number of mistakes that Social Security makes these days, I would not trust that their determination is accurate. And even if it is, I think there's some other things to consider, like the adjustment to the child benefit that is, you know, needs to be happening uh, as well. So um, that's my guess. There, it, it, you failed the 10 years of marriage uh, test. And um, yeah, that's, that's, just, that's my best guess as to what's going on here. I'm not detecting anything else in your question that would lead me to believe otherwise. So... Okay, so let's move on to the 2024 um, changes to Social Security. This will give me, sometimes I've done this as a dedicated show. It doesn't really take up a whole show, so I think it's best that we just kind of tag it on the end of these questions. So you may have heard about this, these changes already, but I like to run, run through them because oftentimes it's only the headline change that everybody learns about in the in the. I wouldn't call it mainstream press, but in the in the headline press of the internet, this is what gets out there. And likely most of you have heard that the cost of living adjustment for 2024 for Social Security is 3.2%. So I'll, I'll start with that one, get it out of the way. But uh, as you all know, there's a lot of other changes that occur as well, including the maximum taxable earnings limit. In 2023, they would subject your earnings to social security taxes up to 160,200 for 2024 that limit is now 168,600 so those of you earning uh, uh, income that is subject to social security taxes only the first 168,600 dollars will be subject to social security taxes in 2024 they've also increased the dollars of earnings you must have to earn a quarter of coverage sometimes called a, a credit, a credit. Um, and those of you who follow Social Security know that you have to earn 40 quarters of coverage in order to become eligible for a retirement benefit from Social Security. And you earn those credits by uh, having a certain amount of earnings subject to Social Security taxes. Um, and you can earn up to four of these credits a year. That's why they call them quarters of coverage. And to earn each credit, you need to earn in 2024 $1,730. So to earn your full 40, I'm sorry, four quarters of coverage in a year, you'd have to earn for the year $6,920. And so if you did that, at least that or more every single year for 10 years, that's how you would uh, unlock the retirement benefit. Now, not a big one, of course, if you're only earning the minimum to uh, qualify, but that's kind of the minimum threshold you have to meet in order to unlock a retirement benefit for yourself. 
um, earning those 40 quarters of coverage, which if you earn four a year, that's why it can take you as little as 10 years to to reach that. The earnings test, that's a, you know something that uh, is of great concern to many people. If you are earning money while under full retirement age and you claim your Social Security benefits at that time, your Social Security benefits can be reduced $1 for every $2 over the earnings limit for the year. And for 2024, that earnings limit is $22,320, up from $21,240. So it's up a good, what, uh, $1,100 or so, almost $1,100 for the year. And so that's the amount you can earn while claiming Social Security and being under your full retirement age and not have your Social Security subject to the earnings test. If you earn more than that, you'll, your Social Security will be reduced $1 for every $2 over that limit. Now, they have a larger earnings test limit for the year that you reach your full retirement age. So in the year you reach your full retirement age, you can earn at any time during the year $59,520 without being subject to the earnings test. The limit last year was 56520 And if you do exceed that, then you're going to have your Social Security reduced $1 for every $3 above that limit. Now, most people are never affected by that earnings test in the year they turn their full retirement age because as you know, most of you will know from listening to the podcast here, the month you reach your full retirement age, you can earn as much as you want without any effect on your social security. So this really just applies to the to the months prior to full retirement age month in that last year that you have earnings where you might be collecting social security simultaneously. Now, you know, a lot of people if they've made it to that year, they don't actually claim it then. You can also opt for the grace year where you can have them apply that limit on a monthly basis. And if you're making that much money, it's probably unlikely that you're going to collect Social Security a couple months early. Uh, anyway, so like I said, not a lot of people are affected by this uh, big earnings test going above and beyond it in the year they turn their full retirement age. But officially, that rule uh, does exist. few other things. Um, we don't talk a lot about Social Security disability on the show here, but... Uh, those of you who are on Social Security Disability know that you can, um, while still collecting disability, earn a small amount per per month. And that uh, amount, called substantial gainful activity, has risen from $14.70 a month to $15.50 a month in 2024. Uh, if you're blind, that limit is higher at $25.90. So that number is up a little bit. The maximum benefit at full retirement age for those retiring for reaching full retirement age in 2024 is $3,822. So that's if you're wondering kind of what's the maximum I could earn. The funny thing is that's not the, the most you could receive because you could delay claiming past the full retirement age. But for those of you claiming at your full retirement age in 2024... Uh, you're, the maximum you could earn if you if you had a really strong, you know, you you knocked it out of the park for 35 of your earnings record years, uh, you could get a maximum benefit of 38.22 per month. 
another number of interest to people. Um, the average benefit for all retired workers has now for the first time in January of 2024 will have exceeded $1,900 a month. Last year, well, current year, 2023, the average for all retired workers was 1848 a month. That average is now going to be up because of the cost of living adjustment up to 1907 per month. So if you're wondering what the average retirement benefit is from Social Security, that's the, that's the number. 1907 per month is on average what all the retirees claiming retirement benefits are receiving um, on average. So those are the, the key figures I always like to go over whenever they do these announcements. Um, the 3.2% isn't as impressive as last year's, which was at the, what, 87 or whatever it was, but that's due to the fact that inflation has come down a lot, but it's still a nice, much more healthy in, increase than a few years ago when we were receiving, you know, zero or one or two percent. So 3.2 is that cost of living adjustment for 2024. They effectively um, apply it to your December benefits, which are payable in January. So you should see your increased benefit payment in January, even though due to them paying Social Security one month in arrears, they're technically paying you your December benefit in January. So they do that on purpose so that people see that adjustment on the first payment of the year there in January. So that brings us to the end of the show today. Uh, thanks for listening. I will go uh, reach out to Jim, make sure he's still uh, still alive and kicking, and uh, hopefully he'll be healthy enough to do the next EDU show next week. We, got, we have several days before that happens, so I fully expect him to be on the show. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate listening. And if you have your own questions for the show, send them to Jim directly. Jim at jimhelps.com is the email address. That's jimhelps.com. In there, make sure you indicate in the subject line it's a question for the podcast, and we'll do our best to answer your question on a future show. So in the meantime, uh, take care, and we'll be back with you next week with a brand new show. You have listened to Jim on the radio read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier & Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jimhelps.com or call 970-530-0556. The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. 
Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor.